0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Four days, though, into their offseason, it's already more insane than anything that happened in the regular season. Now, yesterday, I recapped everything that went down in the week that led up to Antonio Brown not playing in a must-win Week 17 game. Now I feel like I have to recap everything that has happened since yesterday because it's a lot. Again, this is a fat, fat block. It's a lot. Let me start with his teammate Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward went on WDVE, and he talked about Antonio Brown.
1: We all want AB here,
2: um, but to be a, a part of this team, you can't do that. You don't let your brothers down. It, it hurt
1: more knowing that,
2: you know, there are
1: multiple guys in that locker room giving everything they got, and I'll never question what AB does on
2: that field. But not ha- going full strength and still not doing it, that's what hurt more as a team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I think everybody wants AB on the team, but we all got to be on the same page. And I'm
1: not just singling out AB, I'm talking about everybody. From the top to the bottom, we all got to be accountable for it. And I, I'm sure
2: Kevin and Coach Tomlin will be talking to him, but. Going forward, that's unacceptable. Um, You know, it's just we all sign up for this game, and we all sign up to be part of a team.
0: Translation, A.B. is not doing his job, and I'm not having it. And I'm sure that Cam is not the only guy who sees it that way in that locker room. Then you have the head coach, Mike Tomlin. He had his presser. He was asked about Antonio Brown and said this. Obviously, we take
1: his lack of communication, his lack of presence, particularly on Saturday." prior to the game, uh, to be something that's very significant and will be handled appropriately so. Um, I'm not going to speculate on trades and things of that nature. Uh, We haven't formally received a request in that regard, Um, so I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate in terms of where the discipline might go and things of that nature. Just know um, that it's going to be addressed, and it will be addressed and needs to be addressed.
0: All right, then the elephant in the room. Or maybe the so called hippo in the room. Tomlin was asked if Brown quit on his teammates, and here's how he addressed that.
1: You know, you can describe it in whatever ways you want to describe it, but there was a lack of communication there that can lead to thoughts and things of that nature that can go in many directions. Um, The bottom line is that we're playing a significant game. Uh, and he didn't do a good enough job of communicating or being available uh, in, the, in the hours leading up to that performance. So we needed to make decisions pertinent to getting prepared to play in that performance. So um, I've been really clear about outlining what transpired, the level of communication, and things of that nature. Uh, so obviously there's some things within that uh, that you can infer, certainly.
0: Well, not that clear, right? Initially you said he was hurt. Anyway, calling Mike Tomlin did the right thing. Mike Tomlin did the right thing. There was no way Tomlin could let him play in that game if that's how that went down. Now, calling any athlete, much less any athlete is great and is dedicated as Antonio Brown a quitter, is about the worst thing that you can say about any athlete. But I think it's fair to ask the question, in this particular instance, did he quit on his teammates? If he wasn't hurt and he wasn't available to play in a must-win game that had playoff implications, did he quit on his teammates? And don't tell me, yeah, well, he showed up that day. He was ready to play. His agent told the team he wanted to play. Doesn't matter. Mike Tomlin did not let him play because he couldn't let him play. It was the right move. That was on AB. That was not on Tomlin. He didn't play because he stopped going to practices and meetings. Initially, the team said he was hurt. Mike Tomlin said in that same presser that Brown said he had knee soreness, ankle soreness, and foot soreness. Tomlin reportedly asked him to get an MRI, but Antonio Brown didn't do it. So, if he really was hurt and doing everything he could to prepare for a Week 17 matchup, why did he not get the MRI? Why did he skip meetings? Why did he skip practices? That doesn't sound like a guy who's hurt. But hurt, maybe. But injured, not so much. There's obviously a difference between being injured and being butt hurt. I've never seen a team list a player as being butthurt on injury report. And apparently some of his teammates reportedly do not believe that he was hurt. So, if he's not hurt and he's not playing, did he quit on his teammates? Mike Tomlin would not go that far, but then again, he didn't have to. And then there was Antonio Brown, and what a day he had. Tweeting during that presser, it was a tweet that had the caption, Happy New Year, be great. And a pic of himself with a further quote. Quote being, My options may seem limited by people or circumstances. It is then that I remind myself, I am in command of my attitude. I am divinely blessed with free will. I utilize that gift, choosing to take charge of my life to express the creativity, vitality, and wholeness that truly define me, end quote. (laughs) That is awesome. Antonio Brown tweeting a pic of Antonio Brown and treating it like it's a quote from Antonio Brown is the most Antonio Brown thing ever. But it wasn't even the most Antonio Brown thing of yesterday because that was followed up by James Harrison going on Instagram with Antonio Brown to claim that they were going to have an exclusive sit-down. Never mind Barbara Walters, Steve Croft, or Scott Pelley, or my guy James Brown. Antonio Brown is going on with James Harrison. Until he didn't. They apparently watched or listened to Tomlin's presser together, but that bombshell interview that they teased never materialized. And Harrison then went back to posting videos of himself doing heel elevated back squats, about 1,000 reps and about 1,000 pounds. But that was not the end of yesterday. That was barely mid-afternoon yesterday. There was still time for AB to squeeze in a whole lot more. You know, like jumping into the Instagram comments of an ESPN post to call former teammate Ryan Clark an Uncle Tom. After Clark was critical of him. I mean, an Uncle Tom blast. For what? For doing his job? For calling it the way that he and pretty much everybody else sees it? AB, my man, Ryan Clark has a job to do. He's doing it. You have a job to do. But you're not. Not if you're skipping practices and meetings, and not returning your head coach's calls. Look, Antonio Brown does not appear to be looking to burn bridges. He is taking a flamethrower to them. He is vaporizing bridges on his way out of town. And then, just when you thought that story could not get any more absurd, any more over the top, or any more ridiculous, a TV show called The Masked Singer aired. You might be saying to yourself, Hey, Rome, why are you talking about some bizarre whack talent show where C-list celebrities wear masks and sing and then are judged by D-list celebrities. Why? Why wouldn't I? Who doesn't love the sound of a competition where somebody comes out wearing a monster mask and sings a song and then is judged by somebody who hosted a show on MTV like 30 years ago? Sounds awesome. Who needs the Sopranos or Billions or Homeland? when you can have somebody in a deer mask singing and then the son of a sitcom actor reacting. And stop me if you know where this is going. But on last night's episode, somebody came out in a hippo mask and sang and then ultimately had to take off the mask and it was Antonio Brown. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I should have said spoiler alert. That's on me. I know a lot of you were busy last night and were planning to gather the fam around to watch that show when you were all in the same room. I apologize, but it is news, so I had to get to it. I'm sorry if I ruined your entire weekend. Anyway, yes, it was. It was Antonio Brown who was wearing that hippo mask and singing on a reality show. Because just when you thought that AB tweeting a pic of AB... With a quote that AB seemed to be attributing to AB was the most AB thing ever. Along comes AB in a hippo mask on a reality singing competition. And here's the amazing thing, right? All of that was in the last 24 hours. We're not even through the first week of the offseason. And we've already reached wearing a hippo mask and appearing in a reality singing competition. Part of the drama. If that was in the first three days, how is A.B. going to continue throughout the entire offseason? My man, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Now, I know you can't time the release of the reality singing competition shows, but come on now. you got to pace yourself. If you use up every one of your tweets, Instagram videos, Instagram comments, reality show material right now, you're going to have nothing by the end of Wild Card Weekend. And now is not the time when we need you. Learn from the drama masters. Guys like Brett Favre. Save it for the summer when there's nothing else to cover and nothing else to talk about. That's when you really get your bang for the buck. And then where does this leave us now after a day like that? After all of this, nothing much has really changed. It doesn't really matter why Brown got into it with Ben Roethlisberger last week. And yes, there is a report that Brown was bent, that the reasoning went off. The thing that made him most angry, reportedly, was that Juju Smith-Schuster was voted the team MVP by their teammates. Whatever, right? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. The actual reason for last week's incident doesn't even matter because it was not a one-off. It was not a one-time thing. Brown has had more than his share of incidents over the past few years. It's pretty clear there's something that's going on there that's been going on for a pretty long time. And that this blow up? If it was not about him not getting the MVP, it would have been about something else. I don't know what it was, but it's always something. At least it has been the last few years. Although I've always said, the best way to prove that your teammates were wrong, to not vote for you as the MVP... Is to throw a football at a quarterback, miss a bunch of practices, walkthroughs, and meetings, get deactivated from us-win game, and then follow that up with a sustained PR campaign to apparently force your way out of town. Now that's how I spell MVP. Way to show them, maybe. But, and I told you this was a monster block, but. The larger point is this. The details of what caused the incident last week in many ways do not matter, and it's hard to see how Brown's explanation for it would matter. What matters is this: things are bad between Antonio Brown and his quarterback and his coach and maybe a bunch of other guys in that same locker room. But after all of this, he's still a stealer, and it would still be very costly for them to move him, and they're about to enter into a very very long offseason. So, strap in. I'm sure there's some cooking competition where the chefs wear beekeeper's masks that AB is about to enter. You know, and even with all that drama, all that drama, I know a lot of you Steelers fans are bent and are saying, get him the hell out of here. Get him out of here. It's not worth it. Listen... The financials of trading this guy are still bad. They'll never get value on the field or off it in moving this guy. So they better hope they can work this thing out. They better hope it blows over. If he can keep this thing up and a few weeks from now is still banging on about a trade, maybe they have to. But for all the fans who want to just say, just dump him. Just move on. It really is not that simple. It's not. one 8686, where do you come out? Based on what you saw yesterday, what do you think now? What's your reaction to it? My man was in a singing competition, rocking a hippo mask. Gotta love the timing of that. Why do I think that was not a big coinky dink? Yeah, like I really don't know what Fox was thinking because I don't watch crap like that. I don't know if that was going to be their debut because that was the debut. I don't know if they were going to start with him or if somebody there thought, hey, hey, whoa, hey, whoa. Why don't we start with A.B.? Whatever it was, the timing was not good for A.B. He did not have a very good day. Dabo Sweeney is my guest. Dabo, it's a big week, so it's great to have you back. Thank you so much. Good to have you. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, you and I have had this conversation, so let me first off ask you, as you're getting ready for your third national title in the last four seasons, this week, what is the mood like around the program right before the game?
3: Uh, Very focused. Uh, very business-like, you know the the uh, a little bit of you know it, it was a uh, we kind of had the bowl experience last week in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, you're out there for a week, spent Christmas out there, um, had a great win, and um, you know traveled back here on Sunday. Team got back about 5:30 or six, and and uh, so we we came right back Sunday as coaches and and have been uh, you know grinding Sunday and all day Monday, Monday night, and most of Tuesday. And uh, we gave the team off Monday. Just felt like they needed a day to kind of decompress. And uh, they showed up here Tuesday ready to go. And, uh, man, it's been a good week. we got uh, another padded practice today. Uh, but guys are eager. They're excited about going to California. we got a bunch of guys on our team that have never been. Uh, so And excited about competing against the best. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But, but the, the focus has been good. Our energy is great. Uh, I love the look in their eye. And, um you know, we'll be ready to roll in the morning. We'll have our last workout in the morning, then we'll load up the plane and, and, uh, and fly all the way out there. So looking forward to it.
0: Clemson head football coach Dabo Sweeney is my guest. You know, you're coming off that win over Notre Dame, 30-3 to in the semifinal, and as everybody knew going into that game, you were going to be without your All-American defensive lineman, Dexter Lawrence, and yet from the outside, it didn't seem like your defense missed a beat at all. What's <clears> it say about that defensive line and your defense in general?
3: Yeah, I mean, I knew we would be okay personnel-wise. I mean, just my heart just hurt for for those guys, and you know, in particular Dexter. I mean, the other two really haven't played much, but but uh, you know, for Dexter in particular, because he's worked his tail off, and uh, he's he's just such a awesome, awesome young man. And um, so you know, I just hurt for them. But you know, I, I knew that we would be okay. Uh, Albert Huggins is a great football player, and uh, would be starting for. You know, probably 128 uh, schools. (laughs) He just happens to have two first rounders in front of him, and but he's a draft guy. He's going to be drafted. He's a great player, and he play. He he sees the moment, stepped up, had a great game. Um, In fact, he was in on one of the first fumbles, and and as as did Jordan Williams had a heck of a game for us, and Niles Pinckney. So. Um, you know, we, we, we've we got good people there, and, and they performed at the level we needed them to. Clemson. Top the run, and, and we're able to get pressure on that book.
0: We're talking to Clemson head coach, Dabo Sweeney, championship game coming up. You know, earlier this season, of course, you made the decision to switch quarterbacks and go with Trevor Lawrence, knowing the respect and the love that you have for Kelly Bryant. You know, and Dabo, really everybody who plays for you, I cannot imagine that was an easy decision. What made you feel like that was the right move?
3: No, it was a very tough uh, it, it was an easy decision uh, because it was very apparent that Trevor was the better player, and uh, and it was you know based on some people have have, have uh, uh, you know kind of put out their own agenda saying that, that we made that move based on future potential and all that stuff, and and we don't do that here. We don't make decisions on potential. Potential gets you beat, you know. We make all of our decisions on performance. And, uh, and reality and where we are in the moment. And um, it was an easy decision as far as that goes from a football-only standpoint just because it was very clear he was the best player after four games. And, uh, and I mean, this is a, a, a rare talent. And, his, you know, he, what he demonstrated in particular that Georgia Tech game, you know, coming back, I, I knew that, you know, this, this guy earned it. And if we didn't make that change, then, and then you lose your team uh because you know it was obvious uh but the hard part was you know you have to uh disappoint a, a young man that you really care about uh so that that was hard the decision was easy uh, but having to you know uh, let a person know that hey your role is changing that that was really difficult and uh but you know we have to do what's best for the team and uh, just like any other position i mean i've had lots of freshmen you know, win the starting job uh, over the years. Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, you know, I could go on and on and on. Sammy Watkins, and they beat out veteran players, uh, but they won the job. And that was the case here. It just so happened to be it was a quarterback.
0: You know, when you talk about quarterbacks and you talk about rare talent, I mean, you've been around a lot of great quarterbacks in your time in football. We're talking about guys like Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, now Lawrence. How does Trevor stack up with the best quarterbacks you've coached, and what makes the special ones special?
3: Yeah. Well, he, he's he, he coaching him is like coaching Deshaun all over again from a from a mindset standpoint. I mean it's just it's just eerily similar. Um, and you know, they're, what makes them special early is their ability to absorb the playbook and the installation and just how quickly they adjust to the speed of the game um, and just the demeanor and poise uh, under pressure. I mean, it's just such a a step. And no moment just has been too big for him at all. I mean, just like when Deshaun came in here that first spring, immediately from a mental standpoint, you knew – man, this guy is gifted, and that's where we were with Trevor. The difference between Trevor and Deshaun is Trevor's (laughs) 6'6", and he's 215, 16 pounds, and and when Deshaun Watson got here, he was like 180 that January, and uh, he was 200 by August. So he physically had more to develop, but mentally, their mindset, the makeup, uh, the mentality, the poise, the demeanor, uh, the focus, their ability to process and see it. Uh, and how they respond to a good play, a bad play, and the consistency in their preparation, that's what makes these guys
0: unique. Clemson head football coach Dabo Sweeney joins me for a couple of more moments. And Clemson and Alabama are going to do it again. I mentioned that because, Dabo, there's this rush to say, because you're facing Alabama for a fourth time, it's just the same thing over and over again. But it's not because the players keep changing well all the players aside from Hunter Renfro because it's been kind of a running (laughs) joke that he's been there longer than you've been there What has your time with him been like and what has he meant to your program
3: oh man I love Hunter I'm gonna miss him so much I mean he's uh he's like my he's like my pseudo staff you know I mean he's a fifth year guy you know he's got the receding hairline (laughs) He, he 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 looks like the you know the the you know the guy that you know, you just is, is sitting in the stands, you know, uh, with a little bit of a – what do they call it? A, a dad bod or dad whatever. Dad bod, and, right. Uh, but, he, he's, but then he puts that helmet on. He's like Clark Kent, man. He just, just – <laughs> when he puts the glasses on, he's, he's freaking Superman. <laughs> it's unbelievable what this guy can do on a football field. He is a, made of elastic. He <laughs> is un, unbelievably smart. And uh, understands how to run routes and influence guys and break points. he can run. He's really fast. He plays long. It just it just blows your mind when you meet him. I love seeing people's reaction when they meet Hunter Renfro. And let me tell you, this guy's going to be drafted, and he's going to be a great pro. He'll be a better pro because the game is it's a little different. They can't get their hands on him as much and things like that. And I mean, he, he's he's going to be he's going to be somebody's best friend. Uh, at the next level, but I've just loved all of my time. He's such a great example to so many people on uh, what hard work and belief in yourself, and you know, just uh, how the little things, you know, matter and so forth. I mean, he's just he's just a, a great example to so many people, and we're gonna miss him. But he's not done yet. Uh, he's he's got one more one more in him, and uh, we've had two national championship matchups with these guys. Both of them were. Were epic games, and uh, Hunter was a big part of both of them. And I don't have any doubt that uh, that's the way this third one will be. This will be a heavyweight match, that's for sure.
0: Dallas, when you might guess. So before I let you go, how about one thought about that? When you look, and they're all different, but when you look at this year's Alabama team, what is the thing that jumps out to you the most?
3: Yeah, well, they're just, this is by far the best offensive version of Alabama that we've played. Uh, I mean, explosive. And to be quite honest with you, we're kind of mirror images of each other. Two really good defenses. Two dynamic quarterbacks, two very good run games, and explosive skill. Uh, we've got uh, you know 33 plays of 40 yards or more. They got 30, so you know we're very similar. Uh, but the biggest difference, from for my stand, Alabama on defense, they're just they're just you know different year. You know same back channel. You know uh, different day. I mean they just they're just always good over there. But but what they are and who they are on offense now. Uh, their explosiveness, they, their ability to score. I think we're, they're scoring 47 a game, we're 44 a game. That's different. Uh, in, in, the, the, in the past, they've been so built through the run. Now they're more built through the pass and the RPOs and, and, and everything kind of goes through Tua. And, uh, man, he's special. He, he, he's special, just like our guy. I mean, he, he sees it. You can tell he's a great kid. he got just a passion for it and can create with his legs, and, and he is – incredibly accurate with the football. And then he's got amazing people around him. So uh, two really similar teams when you really break it down. And uh, that's what makes it exciting because you know it's going to be just two or three plays and this ought to be an epic battle Monday night.
0: So, Debo, well, finally, before I let you go, one last thought. What about yep. Tua? When you watch Tua, when you watch him on tape, does he look even yeah. better right now? And what, how do you go about slowing him down? What makes him so unique?
3: Yeah, uh, he, he looks great. I mean, he, he looked – he looked awesome in the in the Oklahoma game. Didn't I didn't I didn't see any and then he even had more time, but I didn't see any uh, lingering effects uh, from his injury. He, he's he's just he first of all he processes everything. He's incredibly smart. He's crafty. You know he, he will lie to you in a heartbeat. He he understands how to move a defense, and then boom the balls is, is is out quick. Um, he's got guts. He's got a ton of courage. He thinks he can make every throw because. He can make every throw, and he's not afraid to pull the trigger. Uh, but he's got a little bit of—he's uh, uh, got a little bit of Brett Favre in him, a little bit of Michael Vick in him. You know, and he's just got a little bit of all that stuff that you know you, you think you got him, and and he's got eyes in the back of his head, and he spins out, and the next thing you know, it's a big play uh, because he is so accurate in the pocket, and he's incredibly accurate on the move. Um, so it just just his overall athleticism and just just his arm and his uh, ability to see it, you know, and that's why they that's why they give him so much. I mean, they, you know, he's they got they give him a lot of tools. I mean, he's making a lot of decisions pre snap, post snap, you know, everything right now is with Alabama is a bunch of RPOs, and uh, you know because you have to stop the run game, and uh, so you know when you try to stop the run game, it creates throwing lanes. And, and he is so doggone accurate with the ball, and then he's got phenomenal receivers. So it's just a, it's a hard thing to stop. Uh, similar to us. I mean, we're, we're hard to stop. So, you know, you've got to do a good job of, of uh, winning at the point of attack up front, you know, that matchup, our D-line. We've got to try to pressure him, try to get him off his mark a little bit. We have to, we have to choke him out a little bit as far as, you know, try to, you know, decrease the, the rush lanes. So that because if you run up the field and get by him, he's going to find a lane and he's gone. And then um, and then we we've got to we've got to you can't give him the same pitch because I don't care if you throw it in hundred miles an hour, he's going to hit it. Uh, so you've got to have some change ups and, and and lie to him a little bit from a coverage standpoint, and uh, hopefully he'll make some some bad decisions. But he hadn't made many.
0: It's a titanic matchup, Dabble, You and I have had some amazing conversations over the years, but I think that might be my favorite to date. Big game. 14-0, Clemson going up against Alabama on Monday night. Dabo, thank you very, very much. Couldn't appreciate you, you anymore. Aren't you, aren't you in California? I certainly am. Where are you? Southern California.
3: Okay. You're going to right. Northern California. All right. Uh, I, I'm assuming that's a long way away from you, but we're excited about being there, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, uh, a great uh, representation out there, out there in Cali.
0: Russell Westbrook coming back to L.A. Another great storyline. Billy Donovan coming to L.A., maybe to get the UCLA job, allegedly, potentially, whatever. Russell Westbrook coming back to L.A. And in case you forgot, Paul George coming to play the Lakers after stiffing the Lakers in free agency. And if you forgot that, Laker fans in attendance did not. Roll it. That's impressive. That is impressive. They were out in force. That was not an arrive late, leave early LA crowd. They arrived early just a boo. Loud, proud, large, and in charge. And yes, losers, I will save you the trouble. I will save you your tweet. I know what you're thinking before you think it. Stop. Hey, Rome, the last time I heard anger like that in SoCal was when there was a line for facelifts. Yeah, that's funny stuff. Not original either. Then there was the chant of "We don't need you, we don't need you," directed at Paul George. He's the worst free throw shooter, but Billy Donovan picks Paul George. We don't need you. Yeah, and you can save me your emails about how normally SoCal residents are chanting "We don't need you" at the plastic surgeon while they're holding up a syringe of Botox. Still not original, but you know what was original. That performance that he threw down last night. You see, if you thought that booing Paul George was going to distract him or throw him off his game, it didn't. He didn't seem overly bothered by any of that. At least not nearly as bothered as Stephen Adams was.
4: When you have a teammate like PG who's from here and getting booed here, do you guys feed off of that or do you ignore it? How do you deal with that? Uh,
1: I personally don't. I think it's a bunch
4: of bull.
0: <laughs> I think it's a bunch of bull bleep. That's some vintage Steven Adams. I'm not sure there's anybody in the league who is more loyal to his teammates than Steven Adams. If you insult one of his teammates, you've insulted him, and he's not having it. We know that. Not that PG needed SA to fight any of his battles for him. PG did just fine on his own. Things did not get off to a good start. He picks up some quick fouls. Laker fans are all over him, cheering every foul. It looked like he might be in for a long night. A long night. It was a long night. Well, for everybody except, well, everybody who tried to stop Paul George. He goes off for 37, including 9 points on 3 of 3 shooting down the stretch. As OKC wins that game 107-100. The fact that Paul George did that is not surprising. There's a reason why the Lakers wanted him. There's a reason why Laker fans are bent that they did not get him. But the fact that Paul George did everything on a night where Russ Westbrook could not do anything at all, tells you a lot about the Thunder. They won on the road on a night when Russ went 3-for-20 from the field. That's right, 3-for-20. Because for a scorer, the only thing worse than going 3-for-20 is going 3-for-15. You see, to a scorer, that means you quit early. You didn't believe in yourself to take those five extra shots, but Russ did. And Russ gifted us with an epic shooting night. You know what's even more impressive than going 3-for-20 from the field? Going 3-for-20 and still finishing with a triple-double. 14 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists, and one funky stat line. But then again, the thing that was better than PG's numbers or Russ's numbers were Russ's antics, which were always the best thing of all like when George shook Lance Stevenson with a series of moves and then got him for an and-one, and Russ celebrated by playing the air guitar. Stevenson all over, George.
1: Finally draws the foul. Shot's good, and one. How about Westwood playing the guitar?
0: And by apparently chasing that with a wink and an air kiss in Lance's direction, the guy's having, like, an epically bad shooting night yet he's still mocking Lance Stevenson with an air guitar celebration and a wink and a kiss. Peak Russ. I love it. I love it because there's no league saltier or trollier than the NBA. And Russ is all NBA, all salt, all troll. Just don't ask him if he was thinking about a guitar after the game. Don't ask him what that was all about because he ain't going there. Quote, was I thinking about it? I wasn't thinking about no damn guitar. It was an and one. Having fun per usual. End quote. Per usual. Per usual, I love a dude going like full-blown Eddie Van Halen, Eruption, guitar solo, and then afterwards saying, nah, I wasn't thinking about any damn guitar. That's Russ. Per usual. And this is why the Thunder are working pretty well right now. They've got two elite players who can pick each other up on off nights and control the other team hard. Paul George can go for 37, play lockdown defense. Russ Westbrook can go three for 20, still have a triple-double, and break out an air guitar. So if you're Billy Donovan, why would you ever want to leave that? Why would you ever want to leave that? The fact is, I don't really need him to come to Westwood to coach the Bruins to do that. Because that awesome tune travels. Sounded great in Gainesville. Sounds even better in OKC. That wasn't my idea. You clones did that to him.
1: I personally don't. I think it's a bunch of (laughs) bullshit.
0: Nice win for the Thunder. We are joined right now by Damian Lillard. Damian, Happy New Year. How are you?
2: Happy New Year. I'm good, man. How you doing?
0: Good, good, man. Listen, I know you're a little bit under the weather, so I really appreciate yeah. you making the effort today. You're coming off a win on Tuesday night where you might not have been feeling your best, but you battled. You scored seven of the team's final nine in regulation, including the bucket that tied the game, and then you put it away in overtime. So, what's a win like that on the road in a tough spot to say about this team?
2: I mean, I think it just shows our character. You know, um, you know It's really a collective win for us, and uh, we didn't play a great game offensively, but I think defensively we were, you know, we were present. We played physical. Uh, I thought we were pretty consistent. We had a, a pretty tough third quarter, uh, but we just we showed who we are as a team. You know, we were on the road um, against a, a team who was playing really well at home. Uh, they come, They make comebacks, you know, they make runs, they play fast. And we just found a way to get it done, even though it wasn't one of our best
0: nights. Damian Lillard is my guest. You know, last week you went to Oakland and you played the Warriors in Oakland for the final time. As somebody who is from Oakland, what was it like to go back there for the final time before the team moves on to San Francisco? What was that night like?
2: I mean, it's always a a pleasure for me to go back and and play in front of my family and friends. You know, every time I come there, it's a a large group of people who I know is in the stands and who is watching and is going to be waiting to um, see me after the game. So that's a great feeling. You know, by itself, but um, to be able to go and play against, you know, the defending champs and um, come up with a win the way we did, you know, it was a a great way to uh, to finish. I guess my my time playing in that arena.
0: It's one of my favorite topics. Some of the great guards that came out of Oakland: you, Jason Kidd, Brian Shaw, Gary Payton. There's been so many. You used to go to Warriors games back in the day. And they weren't especially good at that time. So the legend has it, you and your brother and cousin pretty much had a full run of the place because there just weren't that many fans there. What were those days like? And what were Warrior players? What were some of the players that you remember from that era?
2: It was it was real different. It was a, it was very much different than it is now. Um, me and my brother, my cousin, after the game, we would you know walk through the tunnel. We didn't have passes or nothing like that. We would walk through the tunnel be in the back and you know what I know now is because I'm an NBA player with the the room that we would always end up in was the media room and there would be like food and hot dogs and drinks <laughs> and stuff in there. And I just remember we after the game we would just walk back there every game and we'd be eating and drinking sodas out of there and then we would keep walking around the back and we would end up uh walking out where the players walk out of the locker room. So we would just get all the autographs and it would be like a Donald Foil. Uh, Mookie Blaylock, Larry Hughes, Von Tego Cummings, Tony Farmer, um, Terry Cummings, uh, Antoine Jamison. It was like around that time. Bob Sura, John Starks. Uh, It was like around that time. But I remember every game we did the same thing, so... I mean, it was just it was much different than it is
5: now.
0: Dude, that's incredible. That's incredible that you would yeah, see yeah. guys like that at that age. Not only that you had a free run of the place, but man, that I feel like I'm aging out, Damien, because guys like that I used to put on the show, man, Anton Jameson, he was a great guy. Bobby Sura used to come on the program. Yeah. Terry Cummings was a cool dude too. They were all good
2: dudes. Yeah. yeah, they were. They were and they all signed. They all signed. So I mean, I would we would walk out and like they would literally be walking right out of the locker room. Going into the parking lot that they parked, and we would just be standing there, just three of us, and they would stop and and It was cool, man. Really.
0: You know, you remember that. I mean, that actually that made an impression upon you. They all signed. Like a lot of fans know about the work that you've done in schools with the Respect program, supporting anti-bullying work as well, increased attendance, yeah. developing a more positive culture among students. That yeah. said, there's a lot of stuff that you still do away from the spotlight that nobody knows about. So when you went to those games and these guys signed, you remembered that. You looked up to those guys. What's it mean to you now to know that kids look up to you and idolize you, and they're going to remember when you stop and sign?
2: I mean, it means a lot. You know, and I, you know, there were times where I met players um, outside of that environment that, you know, just didn't sign. And, um you know I, I didn't hold a grudge against him, maybe one or two times I was like, man that was that was messed up, <laughs> but um you know i I understand what it means. I know that you know it's something that people don't forget um it goes a long way, you know, and it doesn't take too much time, but you know sometimes you just you know maybe you're at dinner and you are trying to enjoy time with your family i know i I understand both sides, but you know probably I'd say ninety ninety five percent of the time I try to uh be the guy that's you know, willing to, to go to extra mile for somebody who I know is going to mean a lot to.
0: I know you wouldn't say so, but you know I want to ask you who wouldn't sign. Who was the one guy who wouldn't sign? But you're not going to tell me.
2: <laughs> no, I'll tell you. Um, I remember I was in uh, Bayfair Mall. Uh, me, my dad, and my brother, and uh, Joe Smith was on the mm. Warriors. And he was in the mall, and uh, he was walking in the mall, and my dad was like, Tap me and my brother like, look, there go Joe Smith. And me and my brother sprinted over there. It was him and one other dude with him. And, uh, I was like, hey man, can, uh, can I get a picture? Can I get an autograph? I was just asking for all kind of stuff. I was an energetic kid. And, uh, <laughs> he just looked at me and he just turned his head like, didn't really even, didn't really acknowledge it. And then the dude that was with him was like, nah man, not right now. And my dad, like, kind of stayed back. And my brother just, like, kind of grabbed me. He was like, man, let's go. He garbage anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother loved Joe Smith. So when he said that, I knew he was just saying it because he was bad. But uh, my brother just grabbed me like, man, come on. So, like, I, that was, like, the only one where I was like, oh, that
0: was messed up. Wow, dude. I'm so glad you shared that story. Uh, I'm not sure Joe Smith is, but he's getting what he deserves. I mean, come on, man. Take the picture. Now, I love his, I love his guy going, no, man, not now. Not now. We're going to a Wetzel's Pretzels. Man, can't you see that? We're in the mall. Come on, man. Take the picture. Yeah, that
2: was like the raise raised the roof years and then we everybody loved Joe Smith.
0: I know, right? Damien lower joining us. You know, you capped off last week's game in Oakland with that twenty six footer over Steph Curry, six point three seconds left in overtime to get the win. I mean it's not like you haven't hit big shots before, but that shot in Oakland over that guy for the win. How'd that one feel?
2: It felt good. I mean, I um like I said, to be the last game that I'm gonna play in Oakland. Um in that arena, uh, against the the best team in the league, um, a game that we needed to win, you know, just the timing of it, the team we was playing, and, uh, you know, it being my hometown, you know, I think that made it all even better, so, um, you know, it felt great.
0: You know, when you talk about hitting shots under pressure, Damian Lillard, my guest, you know, you've hit it so many times, or have done it so many times, there's now a name for it, it's Dame Time. It's something that you've done over and over again since you got into the league. Is it something you can train for and prepare for, or is that ability to kind of remain calm under pressure? Is it something that somebody's born with, or is it a combination of both?
2: Uh, I don't know if I say you was born with it, and I also don't know if you can work on it. You know, I think you can really work on your game to the point where you just believe in it so much. I think that's what I've done. I just, I know in my heart that I really, really work on my my stuff hard. So I really believe in it and. Just knowing that I really worked on it also helps me dealing with failures. Like, I know that sometimes you're just not going to make it, you know, but I know that I'm doing, I'm giving myself the best chance to be successful so I can live with, you know, if it doesn't go my way. So that when I don't make those shots, you know, it doesn't break me down or make me lose confidence or in a game if I'm not shooting well, um, it doesn't, you know, make me feel any way about um taking those last shots. So I think that's what it comes down to is just, you know, what you do to, to make yourself believe and I believe in my work. You know, I believe in what I'm capable of. So I can I can deal with the failure of it. And I think once you get to the point where you can deal with the failure then you know you'll you'll have a lot of success.
0: Damien Lowards, my guest, playing a little bit under the weather. You know, Damon you sound great today and I know you're not feeling great, but you sound great. So yes. I've got to ask you You're big on nutrition. You're big on eating clean. If you're not feeling well, what's some good go-to get-well grub? I mean, are we green tea? Are we chicken noodle? What do we do?
2: I mean, yesterday I had about three or four big bowls of chicken noodle soup. Um, But for me yesterday, it was, like I said, chicken noodle soup. And uh, I just tried to, you know, keep fluids. I was drinking cranberry juice, orange juice. I was drinking a bunch of water. I was drinking uh, different teas. Um, had me a hot toddy.
0: <laughs> Dude, you're yeah, you're I mean, you're legit. You're legit sick, man. You are legit sick. Did it yeah. help? Did it work?
2: It helped because I felt terrible a few days ago, um, and I still, you know, I'm still sick right now. Probably can hear it in my voice, but um, I feel much better than I did. So you know, I'm getting better.
0: My I man, I'm not gonna keep you too long. Last thought. Did you say hot toddy?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: a little whiskey. A little whiskey? Yeah. What kind yeah. of whiskey?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, my girlfriend picked it up. She picked up a bunch of stuff. She looked up how to make it. So you know, I, I, I trusted her with that one.
0: So was that better than the chicken noodle? Had to be, right?
2: Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect with it.
0: Perfect. So last month, my last question for you. You broke out the Adidas Dame 5 with the Chinese New Year colorway. You and I have talked in the past about how much pride you have in the fact that you've got that signature shoe. What's it like mm-hmm. now getting to the Dame 5? How much pride do you take in the entire line?
2: I mean, I take a lot of pride, and I think is you know, anytime something uh, represents you or has your name on it, I think you've got to have a lot of pride in it and a lot of care with it. You know, and that's how I feel about having a signature shoe. Um, And part of that is, you know, keep honoring that and, you know, doing the things that allowed you to have it so you can continue to, you know, add to that. You know, these are the guys that have, you know, 14 and 15 and all that stuff. They had to keep working. So uh, companies still believed in them to to keep giving them that signature shoe. So I'm just happy that I've been able to, to hold on to that for these last five years. So, you know, hopefully we can continue more of it.
0: Three-time All-Star, All-NBA First Teamer, 2013 Recipient of the Year, and a recipient of the November NBA Cares Community Assist Award, playing hurt and with a legendary jungle of performance. Damian, I really appreciate you. I know that you do not feel well today. That sounded great. Thank you so much for playing through.
2: No problem. Appreciate you for having me, man.
0: Georgia, Texas, Sugar Bowl. You knew the storylines coming in. Georgia was bent to hell about getting left out of the college football playoff. Texas was there to light the argument on fire, burn a message onto the field that we're back. Mission accomplished for Texas. Mission accomplished for Texas, a.k.a. university champions.
4: Congratulations to the university champions today.
0: Uh, been awkward? Been awkward. Awkward. That's the voice of Allstate Chief Marketing Director Elizabeth Brady. Obviously, she was so impressed, even mystified, with Tom Herman's squad that she could not be bothered to call them by their given name, so she instead glossed them university champions.
4: University champions.
0: Stay hot, Lizzie. So the night was all longhorns from the jump, and I mean that in the most literal sense because before that game even started, some geniuses got the idea of introducing a 50-pound drooling bulldog to a 1,200-pound pent-up bull. The bulldog is Georgia's live animal mascot, Uga. The giant piece of livestock with horns that could impale steel is of course Texas's live animal mascot, Bevo. Check out the announcers from the Longhorn Network as they begin to describe the meeting of a bulldog and a bull as something as rare as man walking on the moon before all hell breaks loose. Ladies and gentlemen, this is like a man walking on the moon. Never before. Oh, oh, oh,
5: oh,
1: oh. oh, my
0: lord. Oh, Bevo.
1: Live television get better than that? No. here we get a replay. Oh. That's targeting. you got some edge to him. August is okay. Jeez. That escalated. Can quickly. we roll it back? Can one we roll more that time? back?
0: And those guys enjoyed that more than the game itself. Not to mention that was texas's biggest win in years. Look, if you have not seen the clip, August handlers walked the dog up to the gates that Bebo was standing behind. In a matter of seconds, the steer busts through the two barricades, lowers his head, and attempts to skewer the dog on live TV. Oh, oh,
1: oh, 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 oh. oh my Lord! Oh! Rebo! Oh! Can live television get better than that? No!
0: I don't think the guys ringside when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson were that excited. Somehow the dog sidesteps death gets away unharmed before a grip of Cowboys wrangle the bull away. I mean, the idea was so ill-conceived, so stupid, that I'm convinced that if Georgia's mascot was a mouse and Texas's mascot was an elephant, they still would have gone through with it. Maybe it's time we all agree that animals do not have to meet each other before football games. We get it. Texas has a longhorn mascot. Georgia has a bulldog mascot. It's good enough for me. We get it. I'm not that interested in how real-life versions of these animals would be if they posed together for a picture. What did anybody expect was going to happen? Handshakes? Head rubs? I don't one exactly the way nature intended for that to happen. We're all lucky that we didn't have to visually digest a gory, impromptu episode of Nat Geo before a football game on Tuesday night. Next time, Photoshop the meeting. The only thing more predictable than a Bulls reaction to meeting a Bulldog is PETA coming in hot. Now, I don't care how you personally feel about PETA. It's impossible to take issue here with them taking issue here. It's an animal rights organization. How are they going to be all right with that? Of course they're going to see a steer freak out, nearly kill a dog, and be livid about it. So you can disagree with PETA on whatever you want, but not this one. PETA said in a letter to both schools, quote, It's indefensible to subject animals to the stress of being packed up carted from state to state and paraded in front of a stadium full of screaming fans. It's no surprise that a skittish steer would react to a perceived threat by charging. And PETA is calling on the University of Texas and the University of Georgia to learn from this dangerous incident and retire their live animal mascots. End quote. Yet that, that, or in the very least, do not introduce them to each other. Again, What the hell did they think was going to happen out there? The football teams are there to battle. They should be, or that should be good enough for everybody. Leave the animals out of it. They're not there for the meet and greets. They're probably not there for any of it. But someone somewhere has got to have a freaking clue that walking a small dog up to a giant bull is not a good idea. And one that promptly should not ever be attempted ever again. Luckily, luckily, Disaster was averted, and that did not take anything away from an amazing night for the university champions.
4: University champions.
0: Let me tell you something. You know who's back? You want to know who's back? The university champions.
4: University champions.
0: It was not that long ago that people were trying to bury The university champions.
4: University champions.
0: Georgia talking all that junk. Georgia talking all that junk in the game prior to theirs. Everybody talking about how the SEC was going to deliver a butt kicking and they'd get their comeuppance. The university champions, that is.
4: University champions.
0: Rick Wildey of Chevrolet. Cannot believe how awkward that was.
1: Madison, congratulations! Um, as the official sponsor or the official vehicle of Major League Baseball, Chevrolet is proud to participate in this uh, prestigious award. Um, at Chevrolet, we have um, we have also been proud of the latest and greatest uh, technology in our truck lineup, which is the all-new 2015 uh, Chevy Colorado. Um, It combines class-winning and leading, um, you know, technology and stuff to recognize your performance
0: in this 2014 World Series. It combines leading technology and stuff. We are joined by Kyle Williams. Kyle, it's so good to have you back. How are you?
5: I'm great, my friend. I'm going to have to take that, that introduction with me everywhere I go. great.
0: Well, man, you earned it. You should. I would if I were you. Listen, take me back, if you would, to Monday. That was the day that you told head coach Sean McDermott that you were going to be retiring after the final game. Why don't we start right there, Kyle? What was that conversation like for you?
5: It was hard. You know, I care a lot about Sean, um, what he's meant to me, what he's meant to my family, obviously, what he's meant to Buffalo. And I I remember texting my wife. Uh, I told her that, you know, today was the day that I was going to go break the news to Sean, kind of have a conversation with him she texted to see how it was going. I said, well, I've been walking around the locker room for like an hour and a half, so I don't have to go have the conversation. So uh, it was hard, but it was an emotional time, but uh, I couldn't imagine a better man to have that conversation with.
0: Bill's legend, Kyle Williams, is my guest. You know, Kyle, it's obviously clear that you could still play at a very high level. So what was it that told you that now was the time to step away?
5: Well, I think it had entered my mind, uh, you know, really crept in my mind last spring. Uh, Missing a lot of things with kids, watching Ball and soccer over Facetime, uh, just kind of the accumulation of all that. I love the game. I love playing. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully I played it the right way. I played it as hard as I could. But at the end of the day, uh, I had to evaluate myself and say, okay, are the things I say most important to me? Are they really the most important things to me? Or do I just say that because that's what everybody else says. It's become a cliche. So I evaluated it that way and, and just landed where I landed.
0: We're talking to Kyle Williams. You know, it's really clear how much Sean McDermott means to you. And then at a team meeting last week, he talked about what you've meant to him, both watching you from afar and then getting to coach you. But then he brought up you and told the team that you were retiring. What was that moment like for you, especially as you looked around the room and you saw all the faces and the way people were reacting to the announcement?
5: Um, you know, I think it, the main thing that I shared with the guys in the room that day is the only word that I can come up to come up with, uh, to summarize my career in that moment was grateful. I was so grateful for the opportunity to play in a in a city that loves and appreciates grit and toughness for so long. Uh, I was thankful for, grateful for all of my teammates and my coaches you know obviously that 's a hard time it 's a hard moment, but more than anything and I think Sean knew and respected that is that before the news got out because we had talked about it earlier in the week with the organization was more than anything, I want an opportunity to look at these men and share the news with them myself i don 't want them to hear it through Twitter or the grapevine. I want, them, I want to look them in the eye and tell them myself.
0: Bill is great. Kyle Williams joining us. You mentioned the city. Kyle, I'm going to ask you about Buffalo in a minute. But you were asked to stay in the tunnel before the game after your teammates were introduced, and then you ran onto the field. Your family was there waiting for you. What was that moment like?
5: Well, I, I kind of gave a little back on the you know, running out by myself part. Uh, he insisted. He said, this is something that we need to do, give the fans an opportunity to uh, celebrate you. And he uh, kind of pulled the wool over my eyes and had my family out there. I didn't have any idea that they were going to be there. Um, as luck would have it, the way that the cameras are situated, um, I may or may not have cried. There's no you know, physical evidence that that happened right. when I saw my family. Sure. So uh, that may happen. It may not have. You know, you'll never know. But it was an emotional moment. It was so much, uh, so much fun. And I think looking back on it, You know, the further time moves on and gets me away from that moment, I'm going to appreciate it even more.
0: Then, Cal. Speaking of fun, in the fourth quarter, you line up as a fullback. You block Cameron Wake as part of a play action fake before you released into the flat. The pass was thrown your way. What's going through your mind when that ball is in the air? And then, as you caught it, well,
5: number one, I turned around and I had never, I had never felt like 40 yards was this huge distance, but that's about what it was to the end zone. So, 40 yards had never looked so far. And it's amazing the amount of thought that can go through your mind in a camera flash when you have that ball in your hand. You know, from dread to jubilation to fear that God's come to tackle me, it's a a whole different feeling being the one chasing rather than doing the chasing.
0: Kyle Williams joining us. It was so great. Then after the catch, the first one of your career, your teammates mobbed you. You could see how much they loved that moment, what it meant to them. What did you think about that? What was it like to share that moment with your teammates?
5: It was great. You know, I had an opportunity last year to score a touchdown that kind of sealed our victory of getting into the playoffs, in, in, in a very similar moment. And I think that it's twofold. I had this conversation with Sean and, and Brandon Bean and Terry Pavula before I left that the country got an opportunity to see what the Buffalo Bills mean to our fan. You know, our fandom is so far reaching, and, and they're, they're so they love the Buffalo Bills so much. I thought it was a cool opportunity last year for uh, the whole country to see our fans and what it means to them, and then this year an opportunity for the country, players all around the league, and the guys on our team in particular uh, to show what the Buffalo Bills do to appreciate someone that has been there so long and given them so much. They're going to go the extra mile to send them out the right way. They're going to go the extra mile to celebrate them. And it's such a unique place to play football um, that I think all of us maybe not realize it when we're getting there, but when the end is near, when you're walking away, it's really such an awesome place. And have that moment with my teammates and be able to celebrate the whole kind of surroundings it it was an awesome moment something I'll never forget
0: Kyle Williams joining us for a few more moments you know you just touched on something I was going to ask you about because you and I have talked about the city of Buffalo and the Bills fans in the past but anytime I talk to any of the players uh you know or even the fans like the fans every time they call or they email or they tweet the program they talk about what you have meant to them you specifically so when you were drafted by the Bills in the sixth round out of LSU what did you know at that time about the city and their fans
5: you know, not a whole lot. I, I actually had my first Bills encounter uh, back on the Frank Wright comeback game. I, I had been dropped off at an uncle's house and we were watching football, and that game just happened to be on when I was a younger kid. So that was really my first exposure to Buffalo. Didn't know much about it. Uh, my wife's uncle coached in NFL for 20 years and said, you know, it's cold in one place, you know, when I was going through the draft. And then, you know, the opportunity to get drafted there. Yeah, I really didn't have any expectations or preconceived notions of what the city was or what the people were. I just said, hey, you know what, I'm getting an opportunity to compete here and go play a game that I love. Uh, I'm going to give it all I've got. And just it kind of evolved over the course of my career. I don't think it took long for the city to recognize something in me where I wanted the hallmarks of my career to be toughness, attitude, and effort. And then I can look in the stands and get to know the people in the city and know that they reflect the same thing so when kindred spirits unite you know it makes for a great relationship and we were very very lucky to be able to experience for so long.
0: Kyle I just want to underline this because what we're talking about here the bond between you and this city and the fan base is very very special as an example the people in the cafeteria were in tears when they heard that you were retiring what does all this love mean to you personally?
5: Well I think uh, on a greater scale if if I'm able to kind of take a thousand-foot view, so to speak, and look down on it, hopefully is that I treated everybody the right way. You know, in our building, not just my coaches and my teammates, but, like you said, you know, our support staff, the people that work in the facility and the cafeteria for the stadium operations. Hopefully I treated them with respect. Hopefully I treated them the right way, the way that my mom and dad would have wanted me to treat these people. And I think more than anything you get uh, respect, respect, um, to them they give you respect back and then you build relationships and like i said a lot of that has opportunity where i've been able to be somewhere so long and really build a relationship it's not just a surface level deal it's a building a relationship asking people how they're doing how their family's doing their kids etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: Kyle williams joining us i'm gonna ask you about your family in one second one last thing first though you know almost nobody almost no athlete gets to walk out on their own terms how much pride do you have in the fact that you you were able to do just that when it's so hard to do
5: Well, I think the main thing, I've been asked the question a lot over the last handful of days and really the last week is, you know, you're still playing so well, you know, you feel good physically, that's got to make the decision hard, that's got to really, you know, kind of keep you up at night. And I think when I first started going through this process of, you know, what do I want to do, who do I want to be, where do I want to go, at first it was, but as I stand here today, that really for me is a cherry on top. To know that I never held my teammates and my team back, to know that I went out, Giving them as good an effort and as you know, as solid a day as I had in any point in my career, and you know, walking out relatively healthy. Obviously, I've got 13 years of wear and tear on me, so I've got some things here and there. But a catastrophic end in my career. What we've seen happen so often. So, all of those things equal cherry on top. It's not a thing. I think it's a grateful thing that I was able to do that.
0: So, Kyle. Finally, when I started the interview off, I said, "How'd you know it was time?" And you said, "Because it's time for me to be a dad. It's time for me to see these games and not have to face them, FaceTime them." So, how excited are you to be able to go to every single T ball game, every single soccer game, and to do it in person, to do it live?
5: I'm excited. I've got a, I've got five kids. The, um, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. You know, they're a lot. They get after it. They like to compete. Uh, they like to have fun. And you know more than anything is uh, i'm looking forward to the ride home from uh from the football games or the baseball or the soccer or the tennis after a loss and having an opportunity to talk to talk to them about that you know and and kind of build them you know that's what i'm looking forward to you know i'm not saying that i'll uh, I might not ever miss one again, but I'm being sure going to be there for a lot
0: of them. Cal, hey, help me with this before you go. Let me follow you up on that. My wife and I talk about this. My wife is one of those people who's like, you know, I've done some reading on this and you're not supposed to talk to your kids after a loss. You're not supposed to say anything negative for 24 hours. And we kind of go back and forth with this. And I'm not looking to, to overstep my boundaries or coach anybody up. But how do you treat that? As a parent, can you have a constructive conversation after a loss or a performance?
5: Absolutely. I think that... Uh, for me and for my kids, it will never be about their performance. It will never be about the you know oh you didn't do this, you didn't do that. You could have done this, you could have done that. It'd be like hey, you know what you know what did we learn today? We're either gonna we're gonna win or we're gonna learn. And I'm gonna help them along that process. It's never gonna be anything critiquing their their uh, their performance. It can be like hey, you know what did you see today? What happened today? You know how can we? What can you do to make that better? Um, and it never be in an overbearing way. It'd be more about you know coaching attitude attitude and vision is more is more what i'm concerned about rather than performance
0: what an amazing career a bill's legend five-time pro bowler two-time first team all pro and again one of only six players in bill's history to play 13 seasons with that team a bcs national champion at lsu and he's calling it a day kyle i appreciate you the relationship you always coming on this show i would love to do it again as soon as we can and congratulations on what really was an amazing career
5: Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me over the years, and you call me anytime, buddy. Thanks a lot. Good night now!